This episode of Radio Techers is brought to you in part by Trip Surfer Vacations. Travel is opening up again, and we know you're ready to go. Trip Surfer Vacations has great all-inclusive packages for your next beach vacation and all the info you need to know about your next trip. So whether you're headed to the Cancun, Cozumel, Cabo, or the Caribbean, Trip Surfer Vacations has you guys covered. We even have partnerships for European adventures as well. So we know you're ready to go. Visit TripSurferVacations.com and let them know that Radio Techers sent you. Y'all have fun out there. Welcome to Nitro Nights, a podcast looking back at the crazy, insane, weird, and often wonderful world of WCW. From the first episode of Monday Nitro, taking in every episode of Nitro, every pay-per-view, every Clash of Champions, every Thunder when it starts, all the way through to the sad demise of this company when it closed its doors in 2001. My name is Sai, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime for this weird and wonderful watchback. Scottish Danny, how are you doing this week, my friend? I'm really well, thank you, Si. Um, weird and wonderful is a perfect uh, thing for this uh, description for this uh, episode of Nitro, isn't it? It is, it is. It's quite the mixed bag, this episode that we're getting to today. Today we will be looking at the Nitro, the Monday Nitro from October 30th, 1995. It comes from Dayton, Ohio, and it received a 23 in the television ratings in comparison to Monday Night Raw's 2.1 on the same night. But before we dive into the show itself and the the sort of up and down of this episode, I just want to touch upon the incredibly sad passing of Scott Hall this past week as we record. A little bit of context for everyone, time-wise. Danny and I always try to make sure we've got a few episodes in the bank pre-recorded. So we're a few, we're always a few weeks ahead in case anything pops up so that we don't miss releasing an episode every week. Cause you know, we have quite a few people listening to this show, which I'm hugely grateful for. And we don't want to ever let you down on a Thursday with the show not coming out when we, when it should be. So we've always got a few backed up already. This is the first time Danny and I have actually sat down to record an episode of Nitro Nights since the news of Scott Hall's incredibly sad passing away. And, I mean, 
the guy was so influential in in wrestling in general but with regards to wcw he's one of the most important characters to to, to pass through the gates of this company he, he changed so much with regards to how wrestlers were paid the, the whole nwo storyline so much he did so many great matches great interviews great moments great memories just an absolute legend in this crazy world of you know men pretending to fight with each other that we all love so much and it's an incredibly sad time for a wrestling fan of of, of a certain age who remembers his career or wrestling fans of any age i guess who, who have gone back and watched scott hall's work Danny, um, what are your memories for or about Scott Hall, Razor Ramon? Um, I know you're a touch younger than I, so explain when you first came across Scott Hall and and, and your memories of him as a as an in-ring competitor. Well, definitely it would have to be uh, when he came back to the WWF in 2002 with the NWO. That's the first time I remember seeing Scott Hall. And then um, I, I remember I really being him being one of my favourites during the um, 2010 TNA uh, run where he came back with X-Pac. And um, I remember I was really into that because they even started using the NWO Wolfpack music in TNA. Oh, and wow. I just... Even that, even then, in uh, he was like he was just pushing fifty. He was still so cool, wasn't he? Just yeah, that's one thing. I mean, but yeah, definitely. Um, he used to have this little um YouTube show as well. It was very short lived. It was called Last Call with Scott Hall, and I remember really liking those videos as well. You'd see like all the old wrestlers they would be hanging around with, and um, yeah, it was just a horrible thing that he just died um this week. So um, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. It's funny actually you, you saying that as well. I I basically I don't think I've seen hardly anything of his TNA run. So that's really interesting because obviously for me, Scott Hall, as I said, I'm 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 quite a bit older than you. I can remember Scott Hall making his debut as Razor Ramon. I can remember a little bit of Scott Hall being the diamond stud in WCW way back when, when he used to get him on worldwide on a Saturday afternoon here in the UK sometimes. But mainly as Razor Ramon and then Obviously, Scott Hall when the NWO started, and then, as you explained, when he returned in February 2002. But the TNA run, I've seen barely anything of. So that's really, really interesting that that is what sticks in your mind. I know you're you're always have been a massive TNA wrestling fan, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. And uh, he had a, a good six month um, title, uh, not, uh, yeah, just a run there, and. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it fortunately, it didn't uh, last longer than that. But yeah, it was. He still had all that charisma. So yeah, maybe, uh, maybe when we're done with WCW, some TNA is where we head next. But that's years and years in the future. I feel, my friend, years Definitely. and years in the future. <laughs> yeah. So very, very sad news about the passing of Scott Hall and you know Danny and I and and Nitro Knights in general. Our thoughts go out to. Scott Hall's family, friends, fans, and anyone else who's who's affected by his incredibly sad passing. May he very much so rest in peace and thank you so much for the glorious, glorious memories. So then, Danny, let's get into this week's Monday Nitro Look Back episode, October the 30th, 1995. The show starts with uh, Halloween Havoc talk. And apparently we will get to see some footage from Halloween Havoc when the footage arrives. Now that is, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand they're trying to get people to hang around and because, oh, what's happened to Halloween Havoc then? Let, let, you know, let's hang around and wait to see the footage. 
but to say the footage hasn't arrived yet seems a real odd one to me i mean where is it <laughs> rumors are it's on a bus on the way over but that is really ridiculous isn't it especially if you consider today's world where things can just be seen like that just really really quick but yeah i mean this was this felt really dated yeah i mean don't go wrong in 95 it would have been a case of that they would have needed the tapes and so on but at the same time what did they do did they leave halloween havoc on the sunday night and then Bischoff just suddenly went, oh, crap, I've left all those tapes behind. And they've had to go and get someone to fetch it or something. I don't understand how it's not just, you know, I, obviously it is with them. They, they have it all along. Of course they do. But I don't understand why they're trying to portray it as, oh, we haven't got the footage from our own bloody show. Oh, it's wacky, isn't it? <laughs> it's daft. It's daft. But yes, they promise us we're going to see some footage from the main event of Halloween Havoc that we covered on last week's episode of Nitro Nights. What a treat that will be, being able to sit through that once again. Hmm. The episode of Nitro starts, though, Danny, properly with Sergeant Pittman and Eddie Guerrero. I mean, this to me was quite a good match, but it was over quite quickly. How, how did you uh, How did you find this contest? I like this very much. Um, like you said, it was very quick. Um Craig Pittman seems to be getting a little bit of a push um, because, to be honest, I did not think he would be anywhere except uh, WWE Saturday night. So him being here is actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was, uh, just what did you think of the match overall in general? Yeah, it was good. I mean, any time you get to see Eddie Guerrero wrestles a, a treat, isn't it? And he, he looks great here as well. Very quick, flying all over the place. And, and they've obviously been given a, a relatively short amount of time so they're trying to get a lot of stuff in to that short amount of time, which means that the match is very fast paced. Uh, eventually, Guerrero wins with a kind of roll up effort. And Eric Bischoff on commentary calls it a huge upset. Eddie Guerrero yeah. beating Sergeant Pittman. I was like, mm, are you sure, mate? <laughs> I was shocked. Um, that's what I wrote on my notes. Is that the announcers put this over huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's you know doing great stuff i guess guerrero in the last few matches we've seen him in they've got high hopes for him and he, he features quite prominently in in a, around this time and very early on in his career in america i guess something that we've not got real high hopes for i suppose on the other side of the coin is scott norton and shark who have had their issues recently as we get reminded of in a little recap video flashback uh, effort from wcw of their scrap the other week and the falling out the other week on nitro and the issues they had at the pay-per-view backstage as well or was that a previous nitro as well i can't remember all kind of all the shark norton stuff is such nonsense it just blends into one great big beige horror but um <laughs> it, we start with a second well basically we get a second match so we're starting with two matches back to back which is very un nitro like i suppose i mean the first note i've got here about scott norton and shark is oh dear I um I, I completely agree with you. And that my first note is, did Scott Norton steal Mister Perfect's ring attire? Yeah, and it don't fit him. <laughs> he's got uh he's got the singlet on. For, for those who haven't seen Scott Norton in this incarnation of the guy, I mean, don't get me wrong, the guy could work. He he, he did some great stuff out in Japan. He, he's he's a big, strong, genuinely tough dude. You know, and I would never ever say this to his face, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but seeing him here in 1995 in WCW with a really odd shaped singlet, I suppose the term is, 
it's it's like Mr. Perfect's singlet the, with the black and the and the, the whatever color. But whereas Mr. Perfect's is cut just down by his chest, um, Scott Norton's straps come down to down by his belly button. And then you've got like the triangle of color. It's almost like everything is pointing down to say, look at my stomach. And, you know, don't get me wrong, his arms are ripped, he's put together, but his belly is a little bit more closer to what I personally have as opposed to the six-pack that some of the other wrestlers are sporting. So it's um, <laughs> it's almost like basically he's got a big arrow pointed down to say, look at my gut. <laughs> Pretty much. And, you know, this match uh, isn't going to be anything if one of the announcers walks off and has dinner. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, Bobby Heenan just disappears, doesn't he? Everyone's going, where's Heenan gone? Where's Heenan gone? It turns out he sat with Sonny Ono and a few other Japanese officials and he receives an envelope of money and they're all sat there just having like a little a little meal with some sake and, and so on, watching the wrestling. It was a bit of an odd scene. I mean, context does sort of get placed upon it in later times to make more more sense of what's going on. But that at that moment was quite strange. Um, yep. Something else I noticed, Scott Norton is a strong fella. When he body slammed Shark, man, that was just like he was picking up a cruiserweight. Yeah, and the pop he got was very impressive. As like, um, I think the body slam is uh, one of the most um, highly underrated moves. And uh, but yeah, I mean, you, it always gets a good crowd reaction when someone picks up someone else and slams them on the floor. Simple yet eff- effective. Especially when the person being slammed is the size of John Tenter, the the previous earthquake. Who here is is known as Shark. Yeah, quite impressive, but. The match ends up with both guys scrapping outside and then we get a double count out and they carry on brawling all the way to the back. So it's a bit of a bit of a contest, really. And one thing that I did sort of make a note of that tickled me a little bit was when Norton and Shark were throwing each other's heads into the WC the, the big WCW sign that's made to look like some sort of a corrugated metal effort. So sort of sheet steel metalwork WCW sign on the entranceway. Eric Bischoff is screaming about this being a solid steel sign and it just literally wobbles away like it's polystyrene. It, it's, it's like the old TV shows in the 70s when they shut the door and the walls rattle, you know, that sort of thing. It's kind of, <laughs> that tickled me a bit. It was ridiculous. <laughs> right, next up then, we have Tony Schiavone in the ring and he is going to have a little chat with, well, the four horsemen, the three horsemen. I mean, they're calling themselves the Four Horsemen. They're throwing the fingers up to say four, but there's only three of them. We have Arn Anderson, Brian Pillman, and of course, Ric Flair, who turned on Sting. Sting's far too trusting, isn't he? He's too, he's too nice a fella. He trusts Luger all the time, and Luger turns on him. He trusts Flair all the time. Flair turns on him. He's just not a very you know, sensible guy, I guess, is he? No, he's kind of, kind of the uh, rookie, isn't he? He's a bit of a mug, as well as what I'm getting at. <laughs> uh, but yes, the four, maybe three horsemen are in the ring. Aaron repeats the great line of, you know, people have been asking me everywhere I go about when am I going to reform this and throws up the four fingers. And he said to be careful what you wish for, which is, again, it's just such a simple, straightforward, but effective line. Pillman's looking incredible here the hair the outfit the shouting he just looks awesome rick flair is a bit off the mark for me on this occasion 
he gets a bit, he goes a bit ranty. I don't really know what he's trying to say. I mean, perhaps he's filling in for Hogan because Hogan's not here this week. I don't know. What did you think about this whole, this whole segment? And I suppose, I suppose as we're watching this in order, you know, step by step, this is the coming together of the four horsemen for the first time for you, I would guess. Yeah, it really is. Um, one thing I wrote down was this is actually Tony Schiavone's Nitro debut, which um, was shocking because uh, look where he is now. He's still on TNT now, isn't he? Um, and uh, yeah, I liked this whole uh, segment. Uh, but the one who really stood out for me was, as you say, um, Arn Anderson, because um, he just came off more legit than anyone. Yeah, Arn's amazing. Arn, we, we say the same thing every time we see him on screen, don't we, Danny? But Arn is amazing. Always. Flair rants about Sting and you shouldn't have trusted me, Sting, and I'm going to prove to you, Sting, and I don't quite know what he's going to prove to him. I don't know what he's shouting about. And then he says something about Sting is like the women that we pick up in the evenings. We tell them what they want to hear and we do what they want us to do. And then he changes the subject and talks about something else. It's like, I don't quite know what he's getting at. Yeah, that was very confusing. I was thinking, does he mean because Sting is blonde and he has loads of face paint on, is that the women that they uh, pick up? (laughs) (laughs) Bleach blonde and layers of thick makeup, yeah. The horseman would have loved the night out in Gloucester in that case, I'll tell you that, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Eric Bischoff, once again, states the footage from Halloween Havoc is on its way. And we're halfway through the show now. So we're talking a good 30 minutes since he last said it was on its way. So again, I've got no idea where this footage is coming from. Is it being give, sent over to Nitro or by Carrier Pigeon? Is there a young lad with a backpack on his push bike or a moped potentially carrying these cassette tape? I've got to get to Nitro. Bischoff needs this footage. I, it just it just seems quite silly to me. It does, doesn't it? I mean, I think that Vince McMahon's holding uh, it hostage and he's not ready to give it out. <laughs> Yeah, Vince was like, I love Halloween Havoc. I'm not letting anyone else watch it. This is my favourite pay-per-view of all time. Sign that big guy. He looks great. Yep. <laughs> Such good shit. Um, <laughs> we're then informed by Bischoff that next week, Nitro is live, which is standard practice, of course. Nitro tends to always be live. But Nitro is live and interactive, Danny. Whoa, what do you think of that? The precursor to Taboo Tuesday. Wow. I mean, uh, yeah. this is where it started. I mean, that's the first thing I thought of when I, when I saw this. I was thinking, wow, that's I know somewhere else who did that. But, yeah, this is definitely revolutionary. I don't think Raw did this yet, did they? I don't think so. I don't think so. But, I mean, so, you're right there saying about Taboo Tuesday. And that's really your kind of era, isn't it? The early 2000s or two, was, what would it have been? Two, 2005-ish, maybe, for Taboo Tuesday? Four, 2004. Yeah. 2004. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, that that so that was very interesting because I've never seen that before. Um, something that um, re- shocked me. Um, I don't know if you was going to go to this, but did you see the cards for Saturday night? I did. I didn't write it down though, but I did see the cards. Yes, have you got it in front of you? Yes. Yeah. That, well, there was one match that I wrote down that absolutely shocked me. That Arn Anderson and Ric Flair would be teamed up to face the Renegade and the Cobra. Oh my goodness. What year are we in? <laughs> you wouldn't. I mean, don't get me wrong. Arn and Flair, brilliant stuff. But Renegade and Cobra. I mean, if, if what have those people on Saturday night done to deserve that? <laughs> I am immediately after we finish recording this, going to watch that match. 
You're going to watch that episode of Saturday. Report back, Danny. Report back. Yes, I'll be <laughs> uh, Our next contest is the high-flying, crazy ECW stylings of Sabu. And he is facing the hip-shaking, arm-pointing, finger-waving exploits of the Disco Inferno. Good friend of the show, Disco Inferno. We love him here, don't we, Danny? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Incredible, incredible theme song. That's the best thing about it, his whole gimmick, that theme tune. This, yeah, that's it, man. It's so good. Uh, again, this is a match that kind of promises a great deal, but cut seems to go quite short. It is, it's not a long contest. I mean, granted, these, these episodes of Nitro, as we keep saying every week at the moment, these episodes of Nitro aren't particularly long. They only clock in at 43, 44, 45 minutes-ish. So... The fact that they fitted as many matches on and segments on as they have in that short period this week is quite is quite you know commendable. They've done quite well, but it does mean that the matches tend to be quite short. This one has Sabu flying all over the place. Disco Inferno takes control, and then Sabu comes back again, and and Sabu ultimately wins with a kind of somersault leg drop over the top rope kind of effort. And then afterwards, we have a bit of shenanigans on the outside of the ring as well. I mean, I mean, talk us through your thoughts on the match, Danny, and then and then. What happened afterwards? Yep. Um, so I was shocked that, that this wasn't a squash because I definitely thought it would be with um, Sabu, especially after how he was booked at the pay-per-view. I thought they would have um, rewarded him uh, for that mess. But um, no, this was, I was, yeah, I was quite shocked by that. But um, I would, I just have to point out, this guy Inferno has a great clothesline, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he kind of pops up. I'm guessing because yeah. he's a smaller guy. Maybe he has to do that because he's a bit smaller, but he kind of pops upwards with it, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And um, the so the aftermath of this is uh, Sabu gets the table and just lunges it at Disco Inferno. And then just... <laughs> <laughs> then just sets it up and uh, puts this guy on it. And then uh, I guess it was a table from Japan, I'm guessing. Yeah, it didn't look very comfy, did it? No, and because it didn't break either. No, and there was a real nasty noise. I mean, it cracked, but it didn't break break. And it, oh my goodness, there was a real nasty noise there, wasn't there? Oh, there was. It, it, was, it looked very violent. And I can imagine uh, that didn't do Sabu's spine any um, favours. No, but I mean... Sabu is notorious for, um, shall we say, partaking in various things backstage. So I'm sure there was something uh, behind the scenes that he he consumed that relieved his pain, shall we say. Believe it that, shall we? Allegedly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> he'll, oh, he'll, he'll sue anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. He can sue me if he wants. I've got nothing. Yeah, what have I got? A push bike and a few heavy metal CDs. He can have it if he wants. It's not worth anything. Yeah. Oh, he'll take it. Like, he'll take it. <laughs> And the entire back catalogue of Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. Like, if Sabby's interested, he wants to sue me, crack on. <laughs> uh, we then get the sound that sends shivers down everyone's spine, that brings fear to everyone's mind, the Dungeon of Doom entrance music. And we don't quite know yet who is coming out for this, but we know it's somebody from the Dungeon of Doom, so that's something for us very firmly to not look forward to. But a bit of good news, Danny, a bit of good news. We're informed... During this entrance, the bloody footage has only arrived in the building. Amazing. So we're going to get to watch it again. <laughs> oh, dear me. The Dungeon of Doom music is actually for Meng and his partner tonight, Lex Luger. 
coming out. And Lex doesn't look like a fit for the Dungeon of Doom for me at all. You look at all the freaks and weirdos, and then there's Lex. Like he's he's chiseled out of granite. He looks incredible. He may not be the greatest wrestler in the world, but he, when he's standing still, at least he looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually a very good point, side because did he ever fit in any stable? You can look at the Wolf Pack. You can look at the Four Horsemen. Did he ever actually fit in? Um, I don't. Mm, that that's a good point. That's a really good point. I think when we get to the NWO and the Wolfpack and so on, when we hit that time, it'd be very interesting to see how it works with Luger and where he fits and where he drops and so on. With regards to the Horseman, Luger was brought into the Horseman solely with the intent of them then turning on him to make him into a big baby. He was going to be the next big babyface star. You know, he was, he, he, Magnum TA, who had had his accident by this stage, I think, and Dusty Rhodes wrote the big babyface hopes. Sting sort of made it into the main event picture a little bit later than that. So that was kind of the the idea with the Horseman. But the, the makeup of the Horseman, I mean, the, the, the Horseman that's being put together in front of us now is a bit different to what it was traditionally. The first incarnation of the Horseman, again, is slightly different again. But the ones in in the ones that I really remember and the ones that I look back fondly on the most are you have Ric Flair, who's who's kind of the leader of the Horseman. You have Aaron Anderson, who plays the the enforcer role, and then you normally would have Tully Blanchard alongside him as well, who would be picking up mid card titles or tag titles. And then you have a younger guy, where that would be Lex Luger or eventually Barry Windham for a bit longer. And those are the sort of dynamic in the Horseman that I think works the best out of all of it. Oh, cool. I need to look at more for Horseman that uh, was in the eighties and things like that. But yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Some of the stuff they did was just just incredible. I mean, Flair, Arn, all these guys. The, the, Arn still looks great now. And Flair still produces great wrestling matches. When I say now, I mean 95 as we're watching this. But Arn still looks great in 95 here. Flair is still producing great wrestling matches years after this. But the late 80s is definitely the peak for these guys. They are something else. Really, really good stuff. Really good stuff. I suppose Luger tagged with the Bulldog for a short period. He was a tag team in '95. That kind of that did kind of that kind of worked for me. I guess yeah. it may not be a stable, but as a tag team, yeah, definitely. I, I, he fit really well in uh, Magnificent Seven as well, didn't he? Was that TNA again? Oh no, that was the end of WWE. <laughs> oh, okay. Right, I should know that then, shouldn't I? Magnificent How have I Seven. That? No, no, no. It was Magnificent Seven. Yeah, yeah. Millionaires Club. Um, that was oh, the Millionaires. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. There's so many stables for him. He's he's turning into Jeff Jarrett here. (laughs) We've got all that to look forward to, bud. So much excitement coming out with Lex Luger. (laughs) Uh, Luger and Meng's opponents are the lesser seen team of Scotty Riggs and Marcus Bagwell, the American males. We haven't seen these for for a little while, mate, have we? Where they've been kind of, I don't know, relegated is the right term or demoted down to saturday night television for a while but here they are main event in nitro yep definitely they've been relegated um uh yeah i was very um happy to see them here because i think last time we saw them they were getting squashed by the dungeon of doom so this was nice everyone gets squashed by the dungeon of doom don't they even hogan oh oh nope that's in the footage yet shouldn't spill those beans Uh, the fans are actually chanting for Hogan at the start of this, aren't they? As the heels come 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 out into the ring and the heels very much take charge in the early going. The fans are chanting for Hogan. And 
Luger and Meng do effectively dominate large portions of this match. Eventually, Bagwell gets, I suppose the term is the hot tag, back into the match and the crowd go wild for Bagwell. And he's just a, a ball of energy, clotheslining people, body dropping people all over the place. He's moving incredibly quickly. Eventually, Jimmy Hart distracts the referee. Meng just comes in and kicks everyone. I mean, literally everyone, anyone that's near him, he's just spinning with his foot out effectively at one stage. And Luger then racks, gets the rack on and and uh, wins the contest via submission. So, yeah, that was that was our main event, Danny. What did you think of this match? Really good. Um, there was a lot of energy in there. The mm. crowd seemed into it very much. And um, I really enjoyed that finish as well because the torture rack is something that... If you grew up a wrestling fan, you just automatically did that with your brother or sister. You tried it and failed miserably in my case and landed on your head. <laughs> I used to put my brother in the rack all the time. I used, to, I used to put my brother, my little brother in the in the rack, in a Boston Crab, figure four, the sharpshooter, all the standard holds that you put on your siblings when you were a kid, you know? Uh, I went... Uh, to a party, a birthday party once when I was a teenager. I remember my brother and sister. My brother put a cross face on me, and my sister had the walls of Jericho on me at the same time. <laughs> remember, kids, don't try this at home. <laughs> I couldn't, and I couldn't now. To be honest, no chance could I do it now. My kid, I say, my kid brother. He's in his thirties. He's six foot tall, and he's a black belt in God knows how many different martial arts. So he would kick my ass. So I wouldn't do it anymore. But. <laughs> We cut to the commentary desk where we have Bischoff, Mongo, and the Brain. And Mongo is asking if they want trick or treat to his fellow commentators. So, well, not asking if they want, asking what they're going to receive. And Bischoff hands over a chocolate bar saying, oh, from our sponsors, and a big cheesy Ken doll grin at the camera. Where then, so that's it, that's the treat. And Heenan says he hasn't got anything, so he gets the trick and gets covered in what I think was silly string. I think it was, it was total 90s, wasn't it? But yeah, this was something straight out of um primetime uh wrestling from the like 10 years before this. I found, yeah, that's a really, I didn't think of that actually. That's a really good comparison. It is that kind of silly, kind of make the kids laugh, roll your eyes if you're a bit older gimmick, I suppose. But Heenan sells the silly string brilliantly it would yeah. fall on its arse if he didn't have the reaction he does where he's picking out of his mouth coughing and you know all this sort of stuff if he didn't, he didn't sell it the way he did this whole segment would literally just fall on its arse yeah definitely um, he was so good at that wasn't he yeah definitely okay and then we get the footage that we've been promised all episode long you know all episode long to see, see the footage from halloween havoc and it is literally just that. It's a recap of what happened at the end of Havoc with Jimmy Hart turning on Hogan and, and the Giant leaving with the championship. We come back to Nitro and the Giant is with the world title in the ring with Jimmy Hart and so on, saying he is the world champ and he's going to defend the world title on next week's Nitro. And then we basically just kind of go off air, Danny, don't we? That's, that's the end of the show, really. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I did find that very odd, but um, at least we've got hooks for next week. Yes, more of the giant and the Dungeon of Doom nonsense. But hey ho, there we go. So then, before we uh, review the show overall, as we always do, we better give our pros and cons, our good points and our bad points, our woos and our oh brothers, Danny. Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Do you want to go first or second this week, my friend? I'll go second this time. I want to hear your ones. 
Okay, no props. Um, my woo moment of the night, just something that really popped me and made me laugh, was after the Sabu and Disco Inferno match, when Sabu goes a bit crazy and he's trying to give Disco Inferno a head scissors and he bumping him with a table and hitting him with stuff. Disco Inferno stands up and sort of fixes himself and asks the referee, how's my hair? Is my hair okay? And I don't know why, but that just made me laugh so much. It was just comedy gold. So that's my... Uh, that's my woo for this week, my friend. What about you? Um, definitely. It involves hair again. Uh, you'll be shocking. Um, it was uh, when Jimmy Hart was standing in the ring and he was at the end of the of the show, his hair made it seem like he was taller than Kevin Sullivan and Gene Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> it was really yeah. bouffanted up, wasn't it? Really sort of yes. high, yeah, yeah, back combing and, yeah. <laughs> and it's still the exact same in 2022. Yes, it is. Oh, dear. Our own brothers, Danny. Our own brothers. The the moments that we weren't too fond of. Um, mine is quite straightforward. It's all the nonsense about the footage is nearly here. The footage is arriving. We're waiting on the footage. It's. I, I, I understand it's 95. I understand it's a different world, but it just made them seem silly. I would say the same. Um, that's definitely my old brother is... Um... Yeah, it just it, it seemed too dated. Um, but I, it was between that and at the beginning when uh, the commentators were talking about how serious things were at the uh, pay-per-view, the camera zoomed in to um, Steve Mungo McMichael's dog, uh, who is dressed in a <laughs> Halloween costume. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, then it would definitely be um, the first option. Yeah. I get you. I get you. So then, I mean, like I said, a bit of a mixed bag. Plenty of wrestling on the show. Plenty of wrestlers on the show. And we, we've got, you know, various different people popping up on this episode of Nitro. No Hogan, which is, a, I think, a bit of a blessing because I've seen enough of Hogan in recent weeks. Hit, miss or middling, Danny? What are you thinking? I would say middle with this one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm assuming Hulk Hogan was in jail for trying to kill the giant last night. But yeah, mm. what would you rate this side? I oh see it's either a really really high middle or a low hit. I think it probably probably just sneaks into the hit for me this week. Just sneaks into the hit because there was so much going on in this short time frame, and it did its job of making me definitely think I want to see more of that. It progressed storylines. We had some some good wrestling some not so good wrestling granted but it progressed storylines we're already getting plugs for world war three the next pay-per-view there, there was a lot going on and to me it was it was an enjoyable show i didn't want to skip any of it i didn't feel myself picking my mobile phone up and looking on twitter whilst i was watching any of it so for me it probably yeah it probably just sneaks into that hit bracket for me this week danny yeah brilliant and i think what made it also entertaining was the crowd wasn't it they were seemed mm. up all night yeah, they were good. I mean, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Having a crowd that's really in. I mean, I, I can, I can take it or leave it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm there to watch the wrestling, but a crowd being that exciting, excitable, sorry, does I think help the viewing experience. I suppose. Yeah. Okay then. So, Danny, I suppose that uh, concludes our look back on this episode of Nitro from October 1995. Do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and about the other shows you are involved in, please? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggler, where I masquerade as a Scotsman. Um, you can hear me on uh, A Change in Attitude. You can hear me on uh, One Man's Meat Podcast, and you can hear me here next week. Um, where can we find you, sir? 
yeah great stuff mate great stuff you can find me on twitter at sjp words and the group on facebook you want to be checking out is sjp all the shows on info and by following either of those or getting involved in either of those you get links to all the shows i'm involved in nitro nights here of course chain wrestling which is live on a monday and the podcast version comes out on a wednesday uh, the Doctor Who pod that we do with my good buddy Dan Griffin and the Waiting Room podcast, which is currently in between seasons. We finished season one and we, we started recording season two. That'll be back with you all very, very soon as well that we do with Benny Mac. But most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. Chuck us a follow, get involved, let us know what you're liking, what you're not liking, what you think about the show, what you think about WCW, anything like that. Just get involved, let us know your thoughts. It'd be great to hear from you. And we've passed 300 followers on Twitter, Danny, as we record today. Look at that, eh? And the numbers just the numbers are going up and up and up all over the place. So thank you to everybody who is listening, uh, downloading, playing the podcast and so on. It is hugely, hugely appreciated. Ah, thank Danny, you very much. It, it means a lot. It does, mate. It really does. Danny, my friend, I will speak to you again next week. Definitely. We'll be here. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you.